What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Budgets and Brews podcast with your host, Rich and Tony, where we discuss, chat, and ramble about personal finance, investing, getting out of debt, budgets, business, and beer. This week's topic is top credit cards for points and rewards. In this episode, we interview podcast host, blogger, travel, and personal finance expert, Lee Huffman, and discuss the best credit cards for building credit, balance transfers, cash back, travel rewards, and student credit cards. At the end of the episode, join us for Rich and Tony's Beer Review, where we act like beer con and sewers, but in reality, have no idea what we're talking about. Today on tap is New Glarus Brewing Company, Spotted Cow, and this is distributed exclusively in Wisconsin. All right. Welcome, Lee. We are super happy to have you on the show today. How's it going? It's going great. How about you? I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. (laughs) Anxious uh, to talk about this topic because this is something that I definitely want some more information on as I am also preparing to uh, potentially get another card of my own to add to my credit card arsenal. But basically, I want to see if you could provide listeners with a brief background of your experience and anything you want to share to help us get to know you better. I have on here that you've been a financial planner and corporate finance manager for the past 18 years before transitioning to actually writing full-time as a freelance writer. You specialize in loyalty programs, travel, credit card rewards, personal finance, and real estate. And your content has been featured in Forbes, MSN Canada, Investopedia, Business.com, and NerdWallet, just to name a few. So what else do you have for us? Or if you want to elaborate (laughs) on any of those, that is a lot. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I started actually my career working for my dad's law firm. He was a bankruptcy attorney. And so I learned a lot of what not to do, right? I mean, there's a lot of just really great people that just fell on hard times, whether it was divorce, medical problems, or just not really being able to stay within their budget. And so they were all great people. They just had a problem, right? And it was, they had way more bills than they had money. And so by learning all that, it, it really kind of focused on my efforts on how do I make sure that I don't fall into that same trap? And also how can I help others, whether friends, family, or whoever, to make sure they don't fall in that same trap as well. And so it's, it's kind of like an oxymoron, right? You think, oh, focusing on credit card, <laughs> credit card spending and rewards that's really the thing that gets people into trouble. And so my focus, instead of, it's kind of flipping that script, is proper use of credit cards and credit card rewards actually puts you in a better financial position. And so throughout my career, I, you know, worked in banking, worked in investments. uh, And then, you know, I started my blog almost eight years ago. uh, So in December, 2012. And so I've been writing online for eight years. More of it was like a hobby for a lot of times when I was working in corporate finance. It was like a way to get away from Excel and PowerPoint and actually just be a little creative with my brain. And, uh, but then, you know, a few years ago, it was made clear to me that it was time to leave the corporate world. And rather than find another corporate finance job, my wife and I kind of talked it through and said, you know, we've always talked about living someplace else. So we made the decision to leave LA and move to Nashville where I can spend more time with the kids focus more of my time and efforts on my site, starting my podcast, and then also uh, freelance writing for other websites. And so the last two, almost two and a half years, it's really just been a lot of great family time, being able to kind of really dive in even more into the credit card rewards world, 
and just having a great time. That's awesome. And we'll go ahead and link in our show notes, the podcast website, some of the articles that we've pulled from here to started using this discussion as well. So uh, viewers can go ahead and dive more into that. Today, I did want to talk a little bit about what goes into picking the best credit card. You know, we hear that a lot out there. Here's the top 10 credit cards for this and for that. But I really wanted to talk down somebody who is an expert in that field, talk with them to get you know your opinion and talk about some of the things that you wrote about. So everyone has different needs, wants, and goals. So if we break down the top three things to consider, and this is in one of your articles, um, one of the things you talk about is your credit score. So can you talk about how that factors in to a credit card decision? Yeah, so uh, just kind of in a, in a more basic sense, your credit score determines what type of a risk you are to the bank. And so the lower your score, the higher of a risk you are. And so the, but the more you can increase your score, the less of a risk you are to the bank and the more they're going to give you better rewards. Because generally, if you have a high credit score, you have low debt, you oftentimes have higher income, and you've shown an ability to meet your financial obligations over time, right? You're not missing payments. You're keeping your utilization ratio, which is the balance versus your credit limit. You're keeping that number pretty low. You're not applying for a ton of credit all the time. And overall, just generally, you're being responsible. And so the more responsible you are with your credit, the more that you are a valuable customer to the bank. And it's like one of those things where they're always taking their marketing dollars and trying to, to poach the best clients from other banks to come to them. And so uh, the more that you can keep your score up, the better it is for you as far as being able to reap those rewards. And then the responsible spending, like you said, and that's a great disclaimer, is credit cards aren't for everyone. And if you can't utilize those responsibly, it's probably not even worth listening to the end of this because those rewards really don't matter if you can't make those on-time payments because then you're getting hit with so many late fees. Absolutely. Credit card rewards can change your life in, in some regards. It allows you to go on vacations you never thought you'd be able to afford. I know I've flown in first class and, and stayed at five-star resorts. There's, there's no way that I would ever pay cash for them, whether it's I couldn't afford it or because I'm just too frugal to be able to do that, right? But no matter how many rewards you're earning, it's not worth it if you're carrying a balance every month. You know, the, the interest rates that the banks charge for carrying a balance month after month are just astronomical. And the, the rewards are, are great, but they're not worth the interest you're going to pay. The next item to consider is spending habits. And this sort of ties into maybe that responsible spending. But why is that so important? Every credit card kind of has like a target customer that they're looking for. And so what they do is they give a general amount of rewards for, you know, for your average spend, right? Like whatever purchases you're making on a daily basis. But certain cards reward you extra for spending in certain categories, whether it's on a business side, you know, office supplies and like uh, shipping costs. Or on the consumer side, gas, groceries, dining, travel. So depending upon where you spend your money on a regular basis, you want a card that kind of aligns with those goals. And then the last thing to consider is your preferences. And so can you elaborate on what do you mean by that? Some credit cards have annual fees, right? And so if you're going to pay an annual fee, you want to have a card that makes it worth it to be able to spend that money, right? I look at like every card that I own is like a little worker of Huffman Inc., and so if they're not out there bringing in rewards and bringing in values and benefits for the money that I'm paying them, I'm giving them their paycheck every year. If they're not earning that, then I'm going to fire them, right? And so you want to find a card that kind of offers the benefits that you're going to use and that you find valuable. Like if you never really travel, you never go to airports that have airport lounges, 
if you have a card like the Chase Sapphire Reserve that offers airport lounge access, it's not really a benefit for you. It's not really worth the money that you're paying because you're never using that benefit, right? You want to look at something that, that offers the benefits that you're going to be able to use every year. Before we jump into the top credit cards, I wanted to find some terms so listeners know what we're talking about. So the first one I want to talk about is purchase APR. The term APR is always out there, but what does it actually mean? First off, APR stands for annual percentage rate. So it's basically the rate that, of interest that they're charging you, whether it's for balance transfer, it's for purchases, it's for cash advances, whatever it is. The APR is, a, is the rate of interest that the bank charges. When you look at the way you interact with your card, purchases are obviously when you're swiping the card or typing in your, your card number when you're making an online purchase. So anything that you're buying with the card, that's considered a, a purchase APR. So if you carry a balance from one month to the next, that's the rate of interest that they're going to charge. Uh, some cards, and we'll talk about those in a, in a little bit, offer balance transfers. And so they have a balance transfer APR. And sometimes they'll offer a promotional rate at the beginning where maybe it's a really low interest rate or even sometimes zero. That way you can avoid interest or at least benefit from a, a low uh, interest rate on those balances. Uh, and then there's also cash advance APR. So the cash advances, if you're like at an ATM or someplace else where you're pulling cash out from the card, that's where they're going to charge you that rate there. So most cards today actually use a variable interest rate. And so you hear a lot in the news talking about the Federal Reserve changing interest rates. That's the federal funds rate. The interest rate that a, a bank charges is based on the prime rate, which is the Federal Reserve rate plus 3%. That prime rate, you'll see that in home equity loans, you'll see it in your credit cards and some other different types of loans or lines of credit. And essentially what they do is they say prime plus X. And so whatever that X is, is the rate that they, they use to charge uh, on your credit card. Most of the time you're gonna see interest rates in like the, the 15 to 25% rate for uh, a credit card on your purchases and on other transactions. And so essentially, if you're going to carry a balance, and hopefully, again, you don't have to carry a balance month after month, but if you are going to carry a balance, you want a card with a low APR, so that way you're paying less interest to the bank. If you are paying that card off every single month, that is pretty much non-existent then. It doesn't matter because you aren't getting hit with that APR then. Yeah, so that's another term. It's called a grace period, essentially. And so if your balance is zero, that's the last statement, or you've paid off that balance during this month, essentially you won't be charged interest on the purchases that you're making this month. Like I use my credit card all the time, whether it's a dollar for you something at the convenience store or it's hundreds of thousands of dollars for like a home repair or whatever it is, and, and everything in between, I use my credit cards to be able to earn rewards or cash back uh, on all those purchases. Normally, if you're not careful, you're going to be paying interest on those purchases because you haven't paid it off. But if you pay it off in full every month, they don't charge you interest. And so basically, you, you're using the card, you're getting rewards, and then you're also getting what they call float, which basically means you're getting an extended period of time where you're not paying any sort of interest. And we touched on it just briefly. You talked about the balance transfer APR, but what is in a sense a, a balance transfer. So balance transfer essentially is transferring a balance from, from one bank to another or from one card to another. Maybe you even have a, a loan out there. And so I've seen people do this, like say maybe you're within like a, a year or so of paying off a loan and you know what, that bank is charging you 10% interest rate. And so what you'll do is maybe you'll transfer that balance to a card that gives you a year or maybe a little bit longer of 0% you transfer the balance from that, that bank that's charging you 10% to the bank that's offering you a really low APR, like 0%. Essentially, you're transferring the balance. Essentially, you're just switching your, your balance from one bank to another 
And that's considered a balanced transfer. And then a credit score range. And so this could range from 350 to 850. And my question is, if we're adding a new card, how does that affect that credit? I look at it as like a credit score is like a living creature, right? And so whenever you get your credit score, it's as of that date and, and time, right? And so anything can change you know, the next day or a month or even a week later. So you basically, it looks at the factors of what's your utilization, what's your payment history, what's your mix of credit, which is uh, your, your evolving credit, like a credit card uh, versus like your, your term payments, maybe like a mortgage or a student loan or, or an auto loan, as well as your inquiries. And, and so all these different factors go into your score. And every day, almost, things are changing on a regular basis. And so it's one of those things when you're preparing for, uh, to apply for credit, you can do some things leading up to that to improve your credit score as much as possible by uh, paying off your credit cards or reducing the limits. And that way you're giving yourself just a little bit of a boost right before you apply for maybe a mortgage or something. And the last thing that we have on here for terms is the annual fee. And that's sort of self-explanatory, but that is the fee that a credit card company can charge you just to have that card. A lot of times it could be zero, but sometimes it could be as high as $95, $100 a year just to hold that card. Some of them, I mean, right now, there are, some will go up to $550. You know, there are some really prestigious ones that are several thousand dollars. I mean, I, I personally have over 40 credit cards and I pay about $4,000 a year in annual fees. That's a lot of money, right? That's over, that's about $350 a month. The reason I actually pay that is because I get certain values from them and I'm willing to pay it because of the value I'm getting. Growing up, a lot of banks, I mean, a lot of parents and your friends and stuff like that tell you, don't pay an annual fee, it's a waste of money. It is a waste of money if you aren't getting enough value, if you're not getting enough benefit from that card. So uh, you have to take a look and see what the card is, what the value is, and make that personal decision as far as, is it worth paying that amount of money? And we'll go ahead and dive into some of those rewards now. And so we're going to talk about the top five credit cards to consider. Not necessarily credit cards, but we're going to talk about the credit card categories, the cards inside these. And we will list a few cards as well. All of them will be linked in our show notes. So you can check those out and see if that's right for you. But the first category we're going to talk about is the balance transfer card. We talked about what a balance transfer is. So who would the balance transfer card be for? In this situation, it's somebody that owes money or they're getting ready to, to make a big purchase that they don't have the money uh, right away for. Because there's balance transfers, but there's also purchase APR promotions as well. So they kind of fall into the same bucket. If you owe, maybe you're, you're stuck in some debt, maybe you owe $15,000 and you're like, oh, I'm having trouble paying this because my interest rates are so high and most of the money I'm paying every month just goes to interest. The way to kind of beat the game in that regard is to transfer the balance to a balance transfer card, get that zero APR, and now you have anywhere from like 12 to almost two years to be able to pay it off depending upon the card. And during that period of time, you're not paying any interest. So every dollar that you're paying is going towards reducing the balance instead of making profits for the bank. In some of the cards that we have here, like I said, there's links so you can check them out in depth, but we do have the City Simplicity, the City Double Cash, the Chase Slate, and the summary of those would be the purchase APR is anywhere between 13.99 to 25%, the balance transfer around 14% to 25%, you'll need a credit score range of 640 to 850, and then none of those cards have an annual fee. So what is the number one thing someone should look for when getting a balance transfer card? Well, there's, there's two things. First is what's the length of the, of the APR promotion? 
because some promotions are as short as maybe 12 months and some of them are as long as 21 months. And so if you need more time to be able to pay off that balance, it's really important to have that longer duration of the, of the promotion. Along with that is most of the time there's a fee for the transfer. It's anywhere from three to 5%. So basically that means if you're transferring $10,000, you're going to pay a fee of $300. And most people will go, whoa, 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 I don't want to pay $300. Why would I do that? Well, the thing is, yes, you're paying that fee. You're paying 3%. But think of it that for the next year to almost two years, you're paying 0% interest. So essentially, you're paying 3% interest for the year or maybe even a little bit less if it's a longer duration. So you're paying a small amount to save a larger amount over time. Because if you know that you aren't going to be making payments anytime soon on this and your interest is well over 3, maybe 10, maybe 15, over that time period, you're going to be accruing more money that you're going to have to pay back if you instead would have made that transfer. So the next topic is going to be building credit. So here are some credit cards. Maybe you're starting off, you're new to the game, you want to build your credit. And we have here the Discover It Secured Card, the Walmart Credit Card, the Target Red Card, Best Buy Credit Card, and the Open Sky Visa Secured Credit Card. And the summary of this, we have the purchase APR anywhere between 17 to 26 the balance transfer APR anywhere between 22 to 25, the credit score range 300 to 850, and the annual fee varies from zero to 59. One thing before we dive into some of the other questions I had is what's the difference between the secured card? When you're first starting out, banks don't really know what type of credit risk you are. It's hard for them to gauge you because they just don't know how you can handle money. And so what they do is say, okay, instead of giving you an unsecured credit card, like a normal credit card that most people have is an unsecured credit card, which basically means, hey, look, we know you, you know, here's a credit limit and we trust that you're going to pay it back. A secured card basically says, you know, what? we don't really know you. We haven't really explored a relationship with you or the last time we did, we got burned because you never paid us back. We need you to give us a deposit. So in case something bad happens, we can use that deposit to pay off the balance of what you've charged. What's the number one thing that someone should look for when they're looking at building their credit for these cards specifically? A couple things is one, the annual fee, actually just any fees, because some banks that are in this uh, building credit uh, realm, they charge application fees, origination fees, annual fees. Next thing you know, you got a $300 credit limit and $270 worth of fees. Basically, they just hosed you. You know, they, they charge you $270 or having very little access to credit. And that's not what you want. So you, you really kind of want to stick with the, the bigger names that, you've, that you kind of know of because they generally, they may charge an annual fee, but they're not going to charge a lot of these other bogus fees. So watch out for the fees. And then two, what you would really love to have is a card that will convert. After a period of time, the bank will look at your, your payment record to see how you've been utilizing the card. If, have you been keeping your balances low? Have you been making your payments on time every month? After a while, what they'll do is they will automatically review your account and say, you know what? You've been handling everything good. We're going to convert your card from a secured card to an unsecured card. And by the way, here's your security deposit back. We don't need that anymore. And the next category is travel rewards. On here, we have the Chase Sapphire Preferred, the Capital One Venture Rewards credit card. And a summary of those cards, the purchase APR anywhere between 16 to 24 and a half, the balance transfer APR anywhere between 16 and 24 and a half again, and the credit score ranges from 700 to 850 with an annual fee for both of these. It's actually 95. 
So when we're talking about travel rewards cards, and I feel like there is a lot of nuances with this, like what types of perks, what types of miles, what types of dollars and points, are you able to talk a little bit about how do you decipher between which one am I going for here? There's the points, the miles, and the conversion between those. And I just, there's so many, so much different variables. Yeah, there are so many nuances in the, in the travel rewards world and all the different credit cards. I mean, there are hundreds of different cards that you can, that you can look at. Uh, a lot of them, like the, the two that you mentioned, the Chase Sapphire Preferred and the Capital One Venture card, those are credit cards that are travel-based that earn points that are flexible. And so for somebody first starting out, that's generally a good thing to have is a, is a flexible card because you don't know which airline or which hotel that you really prefer you're kind of like a free agent. You're like, I'm willing to go wherever the cheapest one is, whatever the best option. I don't care who's flying me there. I don't, I don't care what the hotel is. I just want to be able to go and enjoy myself at this destination. These cards are great because you can use the points to pay for that travel, or you can use the points to, to redeem for cash back. Or generally the best value is transferring those points to one of the airline or hotel partners and redeeming those points then for that flight or for uh, that hotel stay. The best way to kind of pick a travel rewards card is figuring out where you want to go and what you want to do. I love Southwest. It's my favorite airline. I get a lot of value from it. I'm actually going to be flying flying to Cabo soon uh, using those points. It's a wonderful thing. But if you want to go to Asia, you want to go to Europe, South America, Southwest isn't going to get you there. So even though it's a great card, it's not going to do what you need to do. Last summer, I went to somewhere down in the Caribbean. And so while we we're there, the problem is a lot of these smaller islands, they don't have every hotel chain. And so if I had uh, Hilton points and I said, oh, I can't wait to use my Hilton points on this island. If that island doesn't have Hilton, guess what? You're not going to be able to redeem them for any of the hotels. You want to think about where do I want to go and how do I want to travel there? Because again, Southwest is a great airline, but they don't offer first class. So if you really want to live your dream of flying first class and being able to sleep on the plane and, and get awesome meals and everything like that. Southwest is not that airline. Figure out how you want to travel. Uh, do you want to travel first class economy? Figure out what type of hotel you want to stay. Are you okay with a budget hotel? Or again, do you want that five-star experience and find the hotels that are there and figure out what type of rewards you need to be able to book that hotel and book that flight and get the card that aligns with those goals. And that sort of answers the question that I had is what's the number one thing someone should look for when they're looking at travel rewards cards, but it's what are you related to most? Is it the hotel? Is it the airfare? Is it a certain airline that you're going to? But make sure that you're making that decision based off of what you are typically doing so it's going to benefit you. Don't just buy one because you saw it on a list and it was the top one rewards card if you don't do any of those things that those perks are offering you. I mean, sometimes travel bloggers or some of the different travel websites or even the bank sites they review all the, all the cards. Sometimes they will put the top card on there because it really is the best card. Sometimes though, uh, there's a promotion from the bank. You're telling them, hey, if you push this card, we're going to give you a lot of money. And so it's almost kind of like always like a little bit of a buyer beware. Do your research before clicking on the, num- the one that, that, that's in that number one spot because maybe it's the best one, maybe it's not. Once you figure out the airline and the hotel that you want to stay, Typically, it's the best idea to get the credit card for that airline and hotel. Here's why. One, most of the time, that that credit card is going to give you free check bags, priority boarding, give you more rewards when you're spending on that airline. Same thing on the hotel space. Generally, you're going to get elevated uh, elite status. So that way, maybe you're going to get a perk like an upgraded room, late checkout, maybe even free breakfast, those type of perks. 
from those credit cards, most hotel credit cards will actually give you, in exchange for the annual fee every year, they'll give you one free night at one of their properties. And so just that benefit alone, to me, is worth paying for that annual fee because maybe it's about $100 for the annual fee for that hotel credit card, but you're going to get a free hotel night that is worth sometimes two, three, four, five hundred dollars $500. That's a trade I'll make all day long. Same thing with the airline credit card. A lot of airlines charge $35 per bag each way when you're flying. So if you can get a free check bag and you're traveling with a family, like I have a family of four, next thing you know, that's 140 bucks each way for us to check bags. So $280 for a flight. But if you get that credit card, it wipes away that entire fee. That's huge. So there's a little little math involved in there too. Is it going to be beneficial? Because you know, right? If you don't travel at all and you drive everywhere, this might be the best travel card, but it's not going to be the right one for you. The next category we talk about are cash back credit cards, and this is the Discover It cash back and the Blue Cash Everyday card from American Express. In the summary of this, we have the purchase APR twelve percent to twenty four, the balance transfer APR. 12% to 24, the credit score range 640 to 850, and the annual fee of zero. So when we're talking about cash back, what's the number one thing that somebody should be looking for when signing up for one of these cards? If you have an annual fee on these cards, you need to factor that into your cash back, right? So, because if you earn $300 in cash back, but you paid a $100 annual fee, you really only got $200 of value from that card. Maybe there's a card that earns a little bit less on the purchases, but has no annual fee. That's a better way to go. Some of the better cashback cards earn 2% on every purchase, you know, and so those are great cards for everyday spend. If you do a lot of dining and entertainment purchases, Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cashback on all those purchases. You look at where you're spending your dollars every month and figuring out a card that's going to kind of align with that. Two quick questions. One, if there's a cashback card and it says you earn 4% for gas, you earn 3% for restaurants, you earn 1% on all other purchases, would you recommend someone just keeping that one card and hitting all those places up to get those rewards? Or would you suggest getting a separate card if it gives you 4% on restaurants, this one's 4% on gas, this one's 4% in grocery stores? Would you recommend actually getting maybe three instead of just that all in one? I guess it depends on how comfortable you are with having multiple cards and, you know, the confusion potentially of having multiple cards and not knowing which card to spend. I mean, what I do literally is I put a little sticker on my cards that says this one, three X at gas or four X at, you know, on dining or whatever. And that way I remember that way I don't have to use my brain power to try to remember which card is, is which I have a little sticker on there. Sometimes you need to do those little tricks. So that way it makes it easier on you. If you're comfortable with having multiple cards, then absolutely find a card that gives you extra rewards for some of those categories you spend the most in and then have a kind of like a generic card that gives you high cash back value or high rewards on everything else that's not part of those bonus categories. That was the next question I was going to ask you is how do you organize all that? Because you said earlier you have 40 different credit cards. How do you keep that organized? And then when those bills are coming in, how do you remember to pay this one on time on this due date and whatnot? Most of those 40 just sit in a box in a drawer and never get used. You know, they're, they're good for certain situations. Some of them are good for just keeping longevity of my credit score. And some of them are good just because I get a free night every year. I'm willing to pay the, the hundred bucks because I get the free night, but they don't really give me a whole lot of extra rewards. So I don't spend on them. What I do is I just keep maybe two or three in, in my wallet. And then I keep my other ones that I, because uh, maybe I'm going on this vacation now, but I know that next summer, I want to go someplace else. 
So I'm earning my rewards to be able to book my next vacation. And the last category is student credit cards. And once again, these seem someone who's just looking for, to sign up for their first credit card would use. And we have the Deserve EDU MasterCard for students and the Discover It Chrome for students as well. In the summary of these, the purchase APR, 13% to 22. The balance transfer APR, 13% to 22, with a credit score ranging of 640 to 850 and $0 annual fee. So when we're talking about student credit cards, what are the couple things that students should be looking for? First off, banks love students. You know, so much to the point where they actually had to pass laws restricting banks from being able to lend the students. Because back in the day, you know, they're handing out Frisbees, handing out shirts, handing out whatever tchotchkes they had. And hey, sign up for this credit card, you get X, Y, and Z. It's a way for students to get into trouble if they're not careful. And so now if you, I believe if you're under 21, you have to have somebody co-sign with you because a lot of st- college students, either one, don't have a job at all because their, their job is to be a student and to graduate college and get good grades. Or two, whatever job that they do have, that money should be going towards paying for their education, paying for their room and board, and whatever other expenses they have while they're at college. Banks know that, okay, if you're going to college, the statistics show that over time you're going to make more money. And so they assume that while you're going to college, yes, maybe you're going to get into a little bit of credit trouble. You're going to accumulate a little bit of debt. But once you graduate, you're going to have a pretty steady paycheck where you're going to be able to pay off those balances. And then we, now we've kind of have our hooks into you. We're, we're ready to kind of cross-sell you additional products later on as you get ready to buy a home or get a car loan or whatever. They've already built that relationship. I guess what's the number one thing then? If I'm a student, what should I be looking if I have a bunch of these options in front of me? Is there a certain one that's better than another? I think the main thing as a student is because your budget is tight, definitely a, a no annual fee card is, is a great way to go. And if you can find one that gives you a little bit of rewards, like the Discover It Chrome is a great card, gives you a little bit of rewards, uh, even has some categories that are based on where college students may spend most. But again, as a college student, do not spend a lot because you don't make a lot of money. And once you start getting into that cycle of debt, it can be a really big tailspin in a hurry. That concludes the five topics that we sort of cover with the balance transfer cards, the building credit, travel rewards, cash back, and student credit cards. I just had a couple other just generic questions for you. Um, the first one is how many cards do you suggest someone holding? I would say at a minimum, people should have three cards. One, because banks can be finicky sometimes. And next thing you know, they decide that they don't like you. If you only have one card and that one card gets closed, Guess what happens? Now you have zero cards and it could really affect your credit score or your ability to rent a car, you know, get a hotel room. You know, our society is based on credit usage. But the main reason to having three different cards is I recommend a card that earns airline miles and offers some airline benefits. Like, so whatever your, your preferred airline is, have that one card. Same thing as a, a hotel card because, again, you're going to get some benefits like elite status, early check-in, late check-out. And then, again, you're building rewards towards a future vacation. And then a cashback card that's a good general card that you can use for everything that gives you flexibility. I mean, cash is obviously king. You can use cash for anything, whether it's travel, paying your bills, you know, paying your utilities, you're making your car payment, whatever. Or it can build up a fund that you can use when you're on vacation. It's kind of like your play money that you can use. That way you don't feel bad if you're like, hey, you know what? There's this really cool experience that I'm never going to have a chance to do that again. So, But I'm a little hesitant because it's $300 or whatever. 
that, hey, I built up this, this cash reserve. Uh, it's my play money. I'm going to go ahead and do it because I, building those experiences is worth it if I if I have some money set aside. And does it matter which company you choose? Is it good to diversify if I want a Visa, Master, American Express? Well, like the difference between a Visa, Master, American Express doesn't matter so much uh, nowadays because pretty much all merchants will accept all three. If you had to choose between those three, I would stay away from American Express if you have to choose because some merchants don't actually accept American Express because they charge a little bit higher fees to the business. But it is good to diversify between banks because, again, those banks may choose to like close one of your cards based on their strategy. And so uh, it's good to maybe diversify between, you know, say, Bank of America, Chase, Citi, uh, American Express, kind of build your ex- exposure to those different banks. Because now also later on, if you want a checking account, if you want a mortgage or whatever, they already have a little bit of a relationship with you. And that way it makes it easier because you already got your foot in the door. The last question I have for you is if you're not ready for a credit card, what are other ways that you can earn some rewards or perks? I mean, it's no surprise that credit cards give you the biggest bang for your buck. I mean, right away, you're going to get a welcome bonus in, in most cases based on spending a certain amount. Plus, you're going to earn all the rewards uh, based on your purchases. But again, not everybody's ready to, to do one right now. Whether you're, you're focused on paying off your debt, proving your credit score, maybe you're getting ready to refinance because right now interest rates are at, at almost near all-time lows on mortgages. And the last thing you want to do is, is mess up your, your refinance just because you wanted to get a little bit of a bonus on a credit card. In those situations where you're not ready to get a new card right now, the best way to earn additional miles and points is by focusing on a couple of different things. You know, all of us are doing online shopping right now. You know, I mean... I rarely step foot into a store now because I'm doing everything online. And so instead of going directly to the store, actually use a shopping portal because what they do is, you know, there's marketing dollars, essentially these companies are using to pay to try to bring in customers. And so by going to a shopping portal, you're getting a portion of those marketing dollars in the form of airline miles, you know, points or cash back. And so by just taking an extra 15 seconds or so to go through a shopping portal before you make your purchase, you're going to earn a bunch of different rewards. My favorite one is to go to cashbackmonitor.com. And so there, what they do, it's kind of like an Expedia for rewards. You type in a store like Lowe's or, or Target or Kohl's or, or whatever you're going to shop and see what they, what they offer. And it'll, what it'll do is it'll return a bunch of uh, different websites and show you what type of re- rewards you're going to earn from that purchase. And then you can either stick with one, say, okay, I want to earn airline miles from American, or I want to earn cash back and then just go to that portal, boom. And next thing you know, by taking that 15 seconds, you, you're able to earn some additional rewards. Uh, and then a couple other ways is there are programs uh, like the one called Dining Rewards. So Dining Rewards partners with several different airlines. And so what you do is you register your credit card. And then whenever you shop at participating restaurants, uh, automatically, in addition to getting the rewards from spending at the restaurant through Dining Rewards, you actually earn some additional miles or points uh, on that purchase. Another one is called Dosh. Uh, there is a bunch of the, uh, these different programs out there, but Dosh is another one that I really like because again, it stacks with dining rewards. So now not only are you earning points from your credit card, you're also earning points from dining rewards and then you're earning cash back from Dosh from shopping at those at those restaurants. And it's a great way now you're triple dipping and getting triple the rewards that you normally would. Well, we covered a lot of information, all super valuable on credit cards and the different categories, different types and ways to go about this. Is there anything else that you want to add? Absolutely. So, I mean, the world is constantly evolving. And so whether it's my site or anybody else's, find somebody out there that you kind of connect with and follow their website 
pick two or three that you really like because you don't want your email box getting inundated. Go to their sites and just kind of read what's going on and see what's happening in the, in the, the miles and points and, and credit card world. And even though we talked about all these different rates and benefits and, and, and bonuses uh, today, those can change on a dime. You know, and the credit cards that are good today, next year may not be good. They may have raised their fees or, or slashed their rewards programs and they're no longer worth it. So take a look, see what's going on and find something that aligns with your goals and just go for it. You may not maximize it, but as long as you're getting some value and you're able to maybe go on that trip that this year versus next year or whatever your goal is, if you can use some of the things that you're already doing to earn additional awards, it's definitely a win for you. Well said, Lee. Once again, thank you so much for joining us today and helping share your wisdom with our listeners out there. It was great to be here. Now let's splash right in to Rich and Tony's Beer Review. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, but most importantly, budgetsandbrews.com. Yes, we have our own website now. On that website, you'll be able to find all of our podcasts, finance articles, beer reviews, and a merchandise store. If you don't want to pay for any of our merchandise, we're giving it away for free. We give away free apparel on our Facebook page every month, so make sure you give that a like and you're following. Once again, our beer reviews mean nothing since we don't know what we're talking about. Please use our lack of knowledge for your entertainment. Tony, what's on tap this week? For this week's beer, we'll be reviewing the new Glarus Brewing Company, Spotted Cow. This is a naturally cloudy farmhouse ale sold exclusively in Wisconsin. And remember, we use a scale 1 to 100, 1 being the worst beer we've ever tasted, and 100 being the best. And today we have special guest with us, colleague, PhD student, resident director, every extreme title you can think of, Kate Page, the one and only. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for okay. having me. And we are so privileged because, as Tony just alluded to, this is a, an exclusive Wisconsin beer and I am so eager to try this naturally cloudy farmhouse ale. I have never done that before. Um, it's amazing. So the bottle right here, we're going to start off with the description. It will, it wanted, it's 4.8% alcohol. And the description of this bottle, can. Can. We, can. we, we have cans. I have a can. I have cans. Mine, well, they all look the same. Mine looks like a thumbprint. I'm assuming that that is the state of Wisconsin, it but it, it's like a thumbprint. I'm not sure if those are supposed to be crop circles because I feel like there might be farms in Wisconsin and crops. Uh, I don't know what they're doing there, but that, that's what I'm getting. And then on the other side, I see a cow jumping over the state of Wisconsin. And yes. it looks like a star in the lower state, which might be their capital, which I don't know it's is Milwaukee. Actually the location of New Glarus Brewing Company, which is not far okay. from the Perfect. state capital of Madison. It's Madison. It's not Milwaukee. It's a cool It's a cool can. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's kind of got this yellow to orange background, like a sunset. Um, as Rich mentioned, it's like the, the state of Wisconsin there, but it looks like a thumbprint like on top of it or something like that. There's a spotted cow. I mean, it definitely grabs the attention. I think you mean that this is like the staple of the state of Wisconsin. Like this is our bread and butter is the spotted cow. Absolutely. The beer. So it does look like if I was in the store, then that's a lie. I probably wouldn't buy it if I didn't know anything about it. Just the the bottle doesn't look cool to me, hip to me. It it's it looks <laughs> elementary. It looks like element. The colors, like I don't know, the contrasting colors aren't really there. It's not popping. It's not too eye grabbing. But um, we'll see if we can make up for that. So we're gonna go ahead and go with the pour and head retention, and this is out of fifteen. Let's go ahead and hear those cracks. Cracks open. Here cracks. we go. 
Get him close to the mic. Ooh, there we go. That's a good one. That's, that's real. That's, that's live cracking action. And uh, Kate, we usually, we try to have a 45 degree angle pour on the can or right. cup. And then after 45, you just sort of tilt it straight up. And uh, we don't know what the, we just do that. I, I mean, I think that's the way to pour a beer. Maybe we should look this up for our next episode. Pour, I, I can get it started here. This yeah. looks like a perfect pour, honestly. So I got it in my glass huh. here. Uh, there's about an inch, maybe a little bit over an inch of head on top, and it's just kind of hanging around. And I think it looks like a, a pretty good pour. I'm going to give that a 9 out of 10. Kate, what do you think? Well, I've got about maybe a half inch, quarter inch of head on this, and it just it looks like picture-perfect beer, to be honest. So I'm going to say at least a 12. All right. I, this is this is an exclusive Wisconsin pour. I really like this pour. It was about two inches. I had two inches of foam. Um, it's rescending slowly. I don't mind it. It almost looks like if I were to walk in to a German brewery pub action thing in a different country and I walked in and it had like the Western doors that sort of you know, whoosh, whoosh, slid open and I was like, give me a beer. And someone threw one of these things down and it slid right on the bar. Like that's what it looks like. One of those old movies, like a nice, good yeah. fun. Why do they have Western doors in Germany? I, it's just, it's popping in my head. I'm thinking Western 14, 14 out of 15. 14? All right, nice. Oh. Let's go to the appearance and color. And this is out of 10. So uh, the appearance looks, it, mine looks on a little bit on the lighter side. I see a lot of bubble action coming up the side, which I like to see. Um, it's a little bit lighter, like I said, like yellowish, but it reminds me of kind of, you know, just because of the can and everything, you got the cow on there. It reminds me of like a farmer's beer and maybe just like a little bit of like some Western dust like blew into it because it's got that cloudy look to it. Um, I think it looks pretty appetizing. I can't, definitely can't wait to try it. And there's a lot of bubble action. I will give this for appearance and color. Um, I'll give it an eight out of 10. Looking at this, this reminds me, and this is probably because this is what I did growing up, but it reminds me of grilling out in a sunset later on in the summer afternoon. This is the perfect fresh cold beer to have on a nice hot summer day. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a nine. Okay, it is cloudy, so I will, I will say that the name, the Natural Cloudy Farmhouse Ale, it holds up to it. It is definitely cloudy. It is a subtle yellow, a subtle yellow to me. The bubbles, the action, there is a lot of dancing action in mine. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it is fizzing straight up. Like if you were to have dropped a, I don't know, a sweet tart, I've never done that before, but in like a pop or something, how it sort of, an Alka-Seltzer, I think that's probably a better descriptor. And that's almost what it looks like, but it's all coming from the bottom of the uh, cup and it's just rising. And I'm like, that's sort of cool. It sort of looks cool. Uh, definitely foggy. I mean, it does, it looks like a summer ale. So you mentioned summer. It, it, it almost looks like a summer ale beer um, put into this. I'm going to give it a, I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. Next we have is the smell out of 20. All right, let's don't, get in there. Huh? Yeah, don't be afraid to get your nose wet. Mm. Ooh, that's nice. Mm. Trying to figure out like what what I'm smelling here. Mm. I don't know that I've ever smelled a beer. This it doesn't have a very overpowering taste. I'm really trying to get my nose closed. Taste? I, excuse me, smell. I'm really trying to get my nose uh, close to it and and get like a big whiff. I can definitely smell like a little bit of hint of fruitiness, maybe. It's like apples. Apples are not an overpowering yeah. fruit smell, but it's it's sweeter. 
Uh, I like it. I think it's good. It's not super actually. Typically, when I smell a beer, I like to have that like robust. Like, oh man, I can't wait to try. It. Like, it smells amazing. It just kind of sets like a taste up for you. Uh, this one doesn't really have that too much, but it does does smell very pleasant. I'll give it a 15 out of 20. I couldn't smell anything for the first five minutes. It hasn't even been five minutes. I couldn't smell anything. Like I smelt, I'm like, I guess this is a beer because I know it's a beer. It's like tricking mm-hmm. my head. But then as soon as Kate says apples, yep, instantly, that's exactly what it smells like. It's it's very subtle. So very subtle. Again, like you really have to get your nose up to that and actually go ahead and take a big a waft, a big sniff of it. But it does smell like an almost not just apples, an apple cider, like a, a, a cider ale or some sort like that, like a very appley apple. That's what it smells like. However, it, on the website, it has flavor. The flavor is the very first thing, it, the ingredient, fun. It's fun, fruity, <laughs> and satisfying. That's what the flavor is. I'm going to give it a 14. Yeah, I, I agree. I'll go with a 15. I'm not a fruity beer kind of a fan, but I the smell is pleasant. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, not, nothing to write home about, you know? All right. Our favorite part is the taste. Yes. This is out of 30. So all this right. is the majority. Cheers. Cheers. Mm-hmm. You definitely know it's a beer once it hits your mouth. Yep. It's just Ooh. the smoothest beer. Pleasant. Mm-hmm. No, well, maybe not the smoothest. It's, it's a smooth beer. It's smooth. It's a smooth beer. There's a little fizzies. Yeah. Like when I drink it in my throat, I feel a little wave. Like, have you ever been to a wave pool? Like back they had it at Six Flags, Joggle Lake, and they were coming out there and everyone's like, whoa, and the wave hits. Imagine if that was the fizz. You get hit once. And it's sort of over real quick. And then all of a sudden you're waiting, you're waiting again. Ooh, another fizz, fizz if you have another drink. And it just sort of just follows right down, right down your esophagus and it's there. So, and I like it, but the fizz is not overpowering. It is super soft. It's like, it almost like a, if you're petting a dog, one quick pet, boop, fizz, and there it is. So that's what I would say. It is smooth. No, I didn't really get a lot of fruit. I didn't really, I mean, it more was a beer. It, it was a beer. Um, I felt maybe if a scale of one to a hundred of hops, I felt like a 17, 17 hops. Like it wasn't extremely hoppy or anything like that. It was, it was just pleasant, smooth, calming. It relaxed me. I liked it. So out of 30, I'm going to give it a 26. Um, I, I like it. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty good. I'm not blown away or anything by it. Cause I like the IPA. I like the really bold beers. It's not super bold, but uh, there's a lot of bubble action going on as we, we said, and you can kind of taste that. Uh, when you take a sip, you know, it, you can feel it on your, in your mouth. You can feel it uh, on your tongue. Um, it's not overpowering with flavor or anything. It's, it's, so it does have that smoothness and it's very drinkable. This isn't a beer I'd be like out chugging or anything like that, but um, it's something you want to actually enjoy. So you want to probably like drink this slow or maybe have it with a meal. I think this would pair really well with a meal or a cookout. And for that reason, I'll, I'll give it a 24 out of 30. And, and thinking, um, or speaking of pairing, the top three foods, barbecue, grilled steak, and jambalaya. Those are the top three pairing foods that this beer recommends. I definitely see that. I mean, it it tastes like home, so I absolutely love it. And you're not wrong about the bubbles. I think this is, if it's not already prescribed by some doctors in Wisconsin, this is the perfect thing to drink when you have a cold. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like a fun, it's a fun bubble reaction. Like the old school game where you're all in gym class and you got the parachute and everyone waves it up and the ball, you know, it shoots or, or someone runs in the middle, like a fizz, quick fizz. Um, yeah, I think it's just a good, it's a good crisp flavor, but it tastes like beer. It doesn't taste like a cider. It tastes like an actual beer, which I absolutely love. I'm, I'm going to stick with a probably 28 on this. 
Okay. Right. Yeah, that's respectable. The aftertaste. Here mm-hmm. we go with the aftertaste. This is going to be out of 25, and I'm going to need a second. So I'm going to... All right, so I just took my sip. First impression after, aftertaste goes down very, very smooth. Not a whole lot. It, it's over very quick, I feel like, after you take a sip, um, which I kind of like. It's good. I would expect that for this kind of beer. But uh, not a whole lot of flavor sticking around or anything like that. So for the aftertaste out of 25, I'm going to give it a 19. For as much as this does taste like a beer and not like a like a cider, there's not an overpowering aftertaste. You don't feel like you need a mint right after. Right. It, it has an aftertaste of a cider, um, but not too sweet. So I, I think that's a good aftertaste. It's out of 25 for this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with 20. What do you think of Rick? Yeah, no, I, I, I think I just agree with, with everyone. Um, it it doesn't linger. It's pretty quick. Like it hits it. It's just like a typical beer. Okay. It fades away. I would say comparable aftertaste to like a Miller light, a Bud light, just like a lighter be- a beer, a lighter, refreshing beer. Like that's sort of the a- aftertaste and you, you still get that beery feel. You get the, the cidery weird smell of it. And then the pleasant, fizzy, great drink. And then afterwards it's just like a regular, typical Bud light, Miller light, Coors light beer. I enjoyed the aftertaste. I'm going to give it out of 25. I'm going to give it a 20. All right. And now for the overall rankings, uh, I have an 81 out of 100. This is out of 100. So great. That's a B minus. That's Mm -hmm. a B minus. So I got an 81. Uh, For me, I gave this a 75 out of 100. Um, And I think that's just because I've had plenty of other beers that I've enjoyed more. But it's still a great beer. Definitely would buy this in a store. Um, and I've got 84 because it is, it's a good, respectable, classy Wisconsin beer. All right. And that wraps up episode number 19. And if you enjoyed listening, we asked you to give it a thumbs up, subscribe, or follow. And oh yeah, please share this episode with friends and family if you found it beneficial. Also, don't forget to leave a review and comment on what topics you want us to cover for the upcoming weeks. That does it. See ya.